For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. It's good to be here with you guys. Connecting in for class this week. I'm just pulling up all of the paperwork, the homework assignments and everything, so I can be um, ready to rock. I see there's only two callers on the line right now. So who's, uh, who's in class with me right now? Uh, Francisco. Hey, Francisco. Hector. Hey, Hector. How are you? Oh, got a couple more callers hopping on. Here we go. It is time to party. So last week we had the uh, week six. We did some review. And... uh, Beautiful. Great. Okay. Um, I'd like to say that I actually really uh, enjoyed your responses in the Facebook groups to uh, the fifth question about um, sort of your, in your own words, how you summarized uh, all relationships are for healing and, and talking about that. And I love how, you know, we, we read the same material and since we each have our own perspective, we have so many different takes on the same material. It's, sort of like um, offering sermons. I always say that. Uh, The example I use is when I was in culinary school, you know, you'd have a group of 20 chefs making the same recipe and you wouldn't have one plate that was the same. So this is how we expand our own perspective by, and this is why I, you know, I just love spiritual community so much and doing this work in a group because it just grows you know, we just see so many different angles and our, our perspective, our consciousness, our, the way we look at things, just, it just expands and expands. I think it's very, very cool. So, um, so we have Hector and Francisco on. I see that Kathy has joined us. Hi, Kathy. Hey, everybody. And hello, hello. And uh, I think we have everybody on the call today. So, um, Stephen, are you on the call? Reverend hello everybody else. I'm back. Hi, hello Magali. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Very good, great. And Bruce, are you also on the call? I am here. All right, beautiful. Great. Well, we're all here, so why don't we take a moment and ground in prayer? Just sitting with your spines erect, taking a few breaths. With each exhale, just allow yourself to relax a little more. So let any tension in your feet and your tummy, your shoulders, your hands, anything in your neck or your jaw, the area around your eyes and ears, just relax, relax, relax. And you can close your eyes if you like. 
bring your attention gently to the flow of your breath, observing it as it flows in through the nose, fills up your lungs, transforms into an out-breath and flows out your nose or mouth. And we just create the gentle intention to clear our mind so that we can recognize the voice of our inner guide. And let's just have a moment of silence as we gently focus on our breath and create the space in our conscious awareness. Taking a moment to just quietly appreciate the space that's available in our minds when we just simply create the intention, the space and the silence. We begin our blessing today in gratitude. We're grateful for the opportunity to be with each other tonight. Always. It's always a blessing to have a community of people centered in love that are interested in deepening their awareness of love's presence. So helpful to have a support system along the way. So we offer up anything that might prevent us from being fully present here and now, any distractions, whether it be in the material world or in our mind or our feeling body. Just let it go. And we bring our attention and our thoughts to God. And we contemplate God to the best of our understanding. We think of God, we think of beauty, we think of love and peace and light. We just stay there for a moment and just contemplate, contemplate God. knowing that in God there's no limitation, there's no restriction. And we gently allow our thoughts to dissolve. Hmm. We feel the light. We feel the light 
in our bodies, in our minds, in our energy centers, in our hearts, around us, through us. And let's dedicate this practice to any sentient being who is suffering today. We send them this light. We know this light is healing. We know this light is purifying and restorative. And it's available to everyone. We know this for them. We see it in them. And we're grateful to do so. And in grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Okay. So, Magali, uh, I'd like for you to fill us in a little bit. Um because you've had a couple of adventures and then um, I know that Adon was in some, going through some medical procedures and recovery, but uh, why don't you share with us a little bit about your time in Oregon and what your experience was like and what's been going on so we're all up to date. And we will practice uh, actively listening. Hello. Hello. It's okay. Oh, it's been quite a roller coaster. Um, but all good. All good. Uh so I was in uh, Oregon for two weeks. Um they called me for uh training with my guide dog and uh it it was a a bit stressful but she is such a gift and and um, she's a black Labrador retriever, and she's very, very eager to work. So um, she's quite energetic. But we had to learn a lot in, in two weeks, and we're still learning. So it's it's still a process, and and it's, it's changed uh, the lifestyle at home. It's a bit like having another another child. I want to take care of but but she's bought in a lot of love and um for and brought the family quite closer. It's like my my older daughter, she doesn't live with us but and she comes over a lot more and and spends time caring for the dog and, and Alan's been uh actually uh a lot more responsible and stuff. At the beginning he was having some jealousy issues. But um, now it's turned, it's quite, turned quite a bit. So we did come home, and it was a lot of adjusting and, and um, about training her and training the rest of the family to to know how how she works. So and, and we're we're working at that. It's getting better. And then uh, last week, um, Avan's had trouble with um, his ears. He's had two surgeries in the past for ear tubes. And um, 
and uh, we've done hearing tests, but they never concluded anything wrong. But the, he still had a lot of um, issues with his ears, and uh, he has a history of asthma. And um, so last week they did a surgery to put ear tubes for the third time, but they're different. And um, they also took out his tonsils. So um, uh, with with the asthma and all of that, we were just a little on edge and, and stuff. And um, the, the great thing is uh, I used to do a lot of yelling around the house. <laughs> um, I thought he wasn't able to pay attention or he wasn't paying attention to me me but it actually was that he couldn't hear me because now his hearing is just the flushing of the toilet the tv he turns it down he tells me to quiet my voice and so in in a way it's it's been a blessing you know he's he he is going through a lot of pain though unfortunately we have to use pain medication often but um he's is a lot happier that he can hear that he can hear a lot, a lot clearer, and I'm hoping the the tonsils will help his breathing and asthma a lot more. Um, so yeah, so he's been home. We've been home for a whole week, and, um, just juggling that, and he hasn't been able to eat much solid food. But um, he's healing, you know, and we're being patient. And I'm just very, very grateful. I mean, even though we have to go through that and it's a distress, it's also a blessing. You know, he's, I feel that he's truly getting better. And and um, that's about it so far. What's the biggest adjustment you've had to make with having a uh, scene? Is, what's the... What's the I want to be the the most politically correct way of saying is service dog. So it's your service dog. Uh, Georgia is her name, right? Yes. Yes. What's been the biggest adjustment? Um, I'm always in a hurry and rushing. And uh, now I really, really have to take the time and plan my day Um plan accordingly, plan to make sure I have all her things and all my things. And on top of that, just uh, just planning and slowing down it really is a big, big adjustment. It's, it's, it's hard to do a whole bunch of things in one day. And, and I mean, we're going places, so I have to, like, plan, okay, I'm going here and I'm going to take this long. And, and she needs her care, I mean. Uh, her feeding and all of that. So I really have to like slow myself down and and just say, okay, I can't do all of this. I have to be conscious of um, take a step back and, and prioritize and, and, and let, let things go too. Mm-hmm. A lot of letting mm-hmm. go. Beautiful. And, but she is, <laughs> as you know, she's a, she's a real... I mean, uh, even though she's a joy and she's adorable, but she's a real gift to, like, patience-wise. She's really helping me develop that. Beautiful. And uh, she's going to come on the retreat with us, yeah? Yes, she is. Oh, that's exciting. All right, cool. Yes. Awesome. 
Great. Well, that's that's so cool. And so you spent two weeks up in Portland learning how to work with the service dog, yes? Yes. Yes. That's cool. And what was your biggest takeaway uh, from that experience? Um, well, <laughs> um, many of the days we were snowed in and we were supposed to, like, be out and about and um, – so we we had to be very creative and back at the in in the dorms and things and so it it took a lot of me getting out of my shell and talking to you know the other um, students and um, just being creative on what to do and what we needed and, and brainstorming and different strategies of of uh, our you know, what we have challenges with. And then so um, I usually don't speak much and, and quiet. So that that was one thing. I was like, I was grateful and had the experience to do it, just share a lot mm. of personal. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Well, I'm really happy that you have this um, new assistance and, that you're learning so much within it. There's so many gifts that are coming with it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that so many of us yes. could, could could benefit by learning how to slow down, be present, practice, you know, a deeper, yes. um, have a practice of patience. And, you know, it's really, um, it truly really is. wild. She's, yeah. she's there for me, com- you know, completely for me, independent on me. But, um, mm-hmm. and um, I really have to give, give myself to her too that's great it's beautiful well it's good to have you in class welcome home welcome back and i look forward to uh many more adventures with you and georgia and adon so would anyone else like to check in uh we won't go to everybody but does anyone have anything you'd like to share uh at the group level before we Review the week six uh, worksheet. Any miracles unfolding in in our lives this week? I will say that 2017 has definitely, like, right off the bat, like, um, challenged me to, you know, move through, stand in my growing edge, my my discomfort zones, and, um, you know, it's really given me the opportunity to expand into uh, something greater, you know, Um, and... uh, especially around business and uh, organization and things to that capacity. So um, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's really interesting to, um, you know, we, I think we were talking about this a little bit in the Course in Miracles group last night about the four stages of consciousness of the first stage is um, – uh, it's actually of the four stages of competence, competence. And the first stage is 
unconscious incompetence. The second stage is conscious incompetence. And then it's conscious competence and then unconscious competence. So the example would be a baby learning how to walk. So the baby's in the crib and it's just on its back and it's just drooling and wiggling around and having a good old time. And it has no idea that it can't walk, that it doesn't possess that ability yet. But then as it grows and it becomes aware of other people moving around, walking on their feet and stuff like that, it realizes, you know, that, you know, it tries to move along, but it can't. And so you see it scooting on the floor, starting to crawl around, starting to try to walk a little bit. And it's now consciously incompetent. It gets that it can't walk because it tries to stand up and walk and it falls down. And then it grows to be consciously competent. It learns how to walk, but it's very aware of every step it takes. Every step feels like a success and is celebrated and he's very much aware of the process. And then sooner than later, he's running around, he's jumping and skipping and playing and he's unconsciously competent of the fact that he can now walk, right? It's not even, there's no concentration on it anymore. He's just doing it. And so a lot of times when we grow in our lives, we have that process where you, you know, I think Bruce and Hector and other people who work in business and uh, who coach people in business and stuff probably could speak to this as well, that, you know, you're interested in growth, you're interested in expansion. This definitely goes and is applicable to our spiritual life as well. That, you know, there's certain, um, like if you are, let's say, interested in in making more money or expanding your cash flow. And there are certain habits that you may not realize you don't practice yet. You're unconsciously incompetent. And then so you hire a coach like Bruce, and then you start working on things and you realize, oh, my God, I, I didn't even know that I was doing these things that were actually costing me money and might be one of the reasons why I can't, you know, uh, save and stuff like that. So you're consciously incompetent. And then you begin to create new systems of organization. You know, you start, you create a budget that feels really uh, helpful. You start saving money. You start keeping track of the flow. You become consciously competent. And then after you grow and expand, you know, you have these um, helpful practices in, in place, then, you know, you move on to another level. You know, and then before, like your 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 book, your check uh, book is balanced. You're not in the red anymore. All that's fine, but that's just second nature now. Now you bring in more wealth, a greater awareness of that. And so, um, I'm experiencing a lot. You know, in the administrative level of Inspire, you know, I'm getting a lot more help through the board of directors, and there are people on the board of directors that have experience and finance and budgeting and all that stuff. we creating systems of organizations and committees. And so there's a lot of things that I've just sort of been doing <laughs> that are now coming into question because the practice is no more, it's not in alignment anymore with a, with a growing spiritual community. You know, there, there needs to be shifts and things like that. 
and accountability and, and better budgeting, more conscious budgeting. And so we're putting the people in place that know how to do that. But with that said, you know, I, a lot of times what comes up in our process of growth is sort of this a shame for not knowing what you didn't know, right? So there's shame around that unconscious incompetence, right? But there's nothing to be ashamed of. You just don't know what you don't know. You know, you don't have the skills that you don't have until you have them. And so I've had to really sort of move through feeling like, um, you know, for me, it really manifests in feeling like a failure in some capacities. And so I've just been sitting with that, and I'm so grateful for this work, um, these classes, this constant reminder. I'm so grateful for my spiritual practice. I'm so grateful for the Course in Miracles group and the Course in Miracles in general and my prayers and, and my, my teachers and mentors that walk with me because I, um, I don't have to, you know, like, we, like we've talked a lot about this, you know, I don't have to make it real. The Byron Katie work really comes into play where I can observe the thoughts without having to attach to them. I can observe the feelings of overwhelm, of disappointment, and I don't have to sit in them and make them more real than they actually are. I accept them. I acknowledge them. I do a little inquiry work around them, see if there's anything I need to know, and then I, I'm not attached to them. I willingly let them go so I can continue to move on and grow. And I know the way that spiritual law works, law cause and effect, that what we focus on magnifies. And so I continue to, I, I don't let myself get pulled in to the, you know, it's alluring to feel bad for yourself and to keep your focus on all the ways that you're messing something up or not doing something right. But I know that, that that's not, those seeds don't bring in a harvest I'm interested in. So I continue to shift my focus on where I'm going. And I just know that whatever needs to be adjusted so I can go, you know, so I can continue to move in the direction that I'm interested in will present itself so I can adjust it. And so being gentle with ourselves during the growing process, during the unveiling process, during the process in which the healing process, which things come up and show themselves, it's, it's so important that we're gentle with ourselves and loving with ourselves. Um, and uh, I feel as though that, sort of conversation very much leads us into the exploration of the week six worksheet. So um, does anybody have anything that they'd like to add to that or share with that? That's just sort of my check-in. I'll also share this sort of wild experience I had today. I took a spin class today. The spin class is 43 minutes, okay? And I, like, like I, um, I time it so perfectly. So, like, I get in, I check in, and class starts. So I'm not, like, lingering around. I'm, I'm not really looking to, like, talk with people or anything like that. And then I leave as right after the last song. I don't do the cool down stretch. I do that on my own. So I'm out right after class. And so my whole time that I'm in there, I have it down to 45 minutes. It's like a science. So I get to my car after class, 45 minutes, and I see three messages from the adoption center that Chris and I are working with. (laughs) And within 
44.5 minutes. I have a message from my social worker saying, we have an infant. It's an emergency placement. They gave, it met all our requirements, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Can you take it? I'm waiting for your call. And then two other messages saying, here's some more information. And then the third one being like, we actually, we, we placed it in another home because they haven't heard back from you. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Jesus, like that was fast. Like all I did was take a spin class. And, and within that time, like they had a, they had a baby and then the, it, then it was gone. And I, you know, my mantra during this whole process is the perfect baby at the perfect time, the perfect baby at the perfect time. So I find such comfort in that because I knew that for whatever reason, reasons that maybe I don't have to be aware of or need to know right in this moment, this wasn't the right situation or circumstance for, for us. But I was just like sort of, sort of blown away by like how quickly things, things can happen in this world. So <laughs> just a little side share. Um, okay, week six worksheet. The first question is, what are some of the differences between repression and suppression? Who would like to answer that? What are some differences between repression and suppression? Uh, I can start. Sure. Um, Repression is a defense mechanism for when the feelings of anger, terror, rage, shame um, become so overwhelmingly are blocked from our conscious awareness. We have no memory of the feelings or of the events. Um, And then suppression is when we consciously refuse to acknowledge emotions that we don't want to feel or express. It is the continued denial that leads to numbness that feels like repression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So repression is a result of the mind, in essence, protecting itself. So something is too traumatic, too um, traumatic is a good word, that it kind of files it away and locks the key so we don't ever have to, you know. So we, we hear a lot about, you know, repressed memories coming to the surface in our adult life for children who uh, experienced abuse or really traumatic experiences in their past that they don't remember. So that's repression. And suppression is something that we are consciously um, pushing down. So, Francisco, can you give me an example of each, like what, like an example of somebody that has a repressed memory versus someone who is suppressing something? Um, I would say repressed memory can be something um, such as childhood rape. Um, And then maybe suppression would be um, going through a traumatic breakup and not wanting to experience um, the emotions. And so you keep the emotions bottled down. Yeah, okay, cool. So what are some ways in the physical world that these repressed experiences or suppressed experiences manifest in, like, relationships and circumstances? So, like, someone who has 
repressed memories of childhood abuse, how might that manifest in their adult life? Um, I, I guess through their, their behavior. Um, can they be intimate with someone? Um, can they have relationships with others? So it could affect their adult relationships and intimacy. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a very common experience. Sure. You know, I've noticed, um, and this is sort of important to keep in mind, just because, honestly, these are this is information that supports us in strengthening our ability to practice compassion and understanding. And I noticed um, something um, in... Uh, people who are sort of, you know, children of abuse, um, especially abuse, uh, sexual abuse, that a lot of times um, the adult will uh, embellish or sort of, um, so, I mean, borderline, like go into fantasy about experiences or situations that they've had in their life. Um, like I had, a an example is, uh, I, I, there's a gentleman I knew that was a, uh, victim of childhood abuse and he was a performer and he would always say, you know, um, it came to light that, you know, he, he, he said that he was on Broadway several times and that, you know, he, he was, uh, he had this really in, impressive resume and all that stuff. And it came to light that he, that wasn't necessarily the case. And it was like dinner theater. It wasn't Broadway. It was things to that capacity. And when I was talking to Jennifer about that, I was like, why does he lie so much? And, and you know, she shared that. She goes, you know, as a defense mechanism, a child, you know, to avoid the traumatic reality of their experience will develop a rich fantasy life as a way of coping with the abuse. And so a lot of times that will manifest as a habit in the adult's life is having this sort of rich fantasy life in which it feels very real to them. And it's very sort of nourishing to them. It's, it's comforting to them, the fantasy. And, and it was interesting because just in un, having that information, understanding that I was able to go from thinking someone was you know, untrustworthy and awful to having real compassion and understanding for them. You know what I mean? So um, it's just something to keep in mind, you know, as we continue to do this work, as we think about our ability to forgive, as we think about all the situations and circumstances that, you know, we talk about perception so much and consciousness so much that there are different layers and different, you know, little things to consider in, um, in that. And naturally, not every case, you know, people deal with these experiences in many different ways. That's one example of one way that I've experienced that specific kind of repression. So, Francisco, what about suppression? 
So you gave the example of someone going through a breakup and not wanting to deal with it, so they're not talking about it. How might that manifest? What situations or circumstances or experiences might manifest as a result of them suppressing their feelings about the breakup? Um, so instead of dealing with the feelings, um, they would tend to then um, fill the feelings, fill the void, so to speak. So if they're feeling sad or depressed, um, they will usually do something to make them not feel sad or depressed, um, to make them feel happy, whether it is um, something of short-term satisfaction, such as eating or drinking or indulging in something. Um, yeah. And what usually, is, what happens after you, you go for the pleasure a lot of times? Um, whenever there's a spike up, there's always a fall down. Um, so it's usually filled by a greater sense of emptiness and void. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like drugs. You know, you take a drug and it's a temporary experience of euphoria followed by a real challenging crash. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know you've never taken drugs before, Francisco, but... Other people on this call who have might know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, Bruce, specifically, I'm talking about Bruce. Um, no. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yeah, great. That's a really good thing. Yeah. So people will uh, they'll reach for something temporary to uh, mask it. Oftentimes, you know, if you've suppressed something, you'll direct your anger or upset to other areas of your life that have nothing to do with the situation that's creating stress in your life, right? And so um, that's why it's so valuable to understand this, the, the differences between these things, because, you know, we don't, in knowing this, you know, we can become aware when we do it. And then we can treat ourselves with compassion and understanding as we practice self-forgiveness and um, continue to uh, continue on the path of self-awareness. So beautiful. Anyone, uh, would anyone like to add to number one? Okay, great. Well, uh, since I mentioned you earlier, Bruce, why don't you tackle number two? What are the differences between guilt and shame? So guilt is, is I did something wrong and I feel bad about doing that thing. And shame is I am wrong, bad, ugly, inferior, whatever, because of what happened. Mm, yeah, yeah. So guilt is about something that you did. Shame is a misperception of the self, pretty much. The meaning of of the act, yeah, you know, I I think of the way they sort of defined it, you know, in the book, like guilt, sort of like re, there's like regret. I regret, I regret that thing. I regret what I regret what I said or I did, you know. Feel bad about it, uh, but shame is is deeper in that whatever happened, either that I did or that happened to me, I take as you know evidence to support the idea that I'm you know, wrong or bad. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, perfect, great. 
Um, <clears throat> okay, so just uh, give me a simple example of something you might feel guilty of doing. Um, you know, overeating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, regret having that second slice of pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and something, I think shame uh, goes nicely with the conversation about repression because a lot of times, you know, we're, we're holding that we have a repressed memory in the, in the banks of our subconscious mind and it's sort of manifested as this self-view, you know, this, this, per, this inflicted per, per self-perception. Uh, what's, give me an example of like, a shame, uh, uh, something that someone would like hold deep shame around, like a, a, a belief about themselves that you've seen people um, walking around with deep shame about. Well, I mean, the obvious one is is if people were brought up with the idea that being gay is a sin or wrong or bad, um, you know, then they feel shame over over that. I, and I do yeah. Volunteer work, mm-hmm. Trevor Project. I hear that a lot. There's, there's. Mm-hmm. It's not that they, even if they haven't acted out sexually, you know, mm-hmm. feel shame over just identifying as as gay because they are in their belief system. They've been taught that, you know, that that is is sinful. Beautiful. Yep. You got it. Well done. Well said. Anyone else have anything that they'd like to uh, add to that? All right. Okay. Number three. Um, Does anyone, would anyone like to share an experience they've had working through shame? The safe space, everybody. <laughs> Unless there's no one's had any experience with shame, then I understand that as well. Hello. Hello. Okay. Let's share about shame. Um, I actually went to. I'll be back. Went to college. Went to. um, I went to college just after living in Costa Rica, and I came and was living at the dorms and everything. And and um, uh, what do you call it? Most of them, of my doormates were um, older than I and and things, and um, I wanted to fit in, so I became sexually active really quick, and um, you would say promiscuous, and uh, I had some shame attached to that afterwards. After, um, well, not not feeling good about myself and then kind of internalizing that 
so I uh, I guess that's where it's like it, I believed it was uh, part of my core. I was bad because of that. And um, uh, it took a while to to move from there. Mm. But that's a, a, a sense of shame I, I had. So you allowed having multiple partners to be evidence that you were bad. And so yes. you had this belief that you were somehow bad, and this was proof because this is what bad people do. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's a wonderful um, uh, example. So I would say that we have both guilt and shame here. So there was guilt over the act, mm-hmm. the actual act, and which manifested as this experience of shame and proof that you were somehow broken and bad. That's a great example. It's interesting. Um, you know, we can really we could we could talk for weeks about sexual shame, oh, yeah. but here in this group, why don't we all sort of debunk and de you know take some of the mystery around the truth about sex and sexuality? Um, so I'm going to invite everyone to participate and let's share beliefs around sex. So what are some uh, common beliefs around sex. Let's hear them. The more the better if you're a man, but not so if you're a woman. Yeah, what are, a woman who has a lot of sex is what? Miscuous or slut. Yeah, she's a slut. Yeah, so it's slut shaming. Mm-hmm. It's a very painful word for a lot of women. Is this idea of the fear of being a slut because she has like enjoys having sex? Very common experience for women. What else is there? It's kind of the belief? opposite of being a prude, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I have a little dog that's going to bark because we have a male person here. Yeah, so if you don't have sex, then you're a prude. You know, there's something wrong with you. What if someone is, like, in their, like, mid to late 20s and still a virgin? What does that mean? I mean, the opposite. My, my experience is people are like, what's wrong with you? Right. <laughs> you know, there's something wrong with you. Like, go have sex. You're freaking me out. Um, okay, what about for women, you know, if you're a woman and you're a virgin, what does that mean? You're okay. good that you're pure. <laughs> That you're virtuous. Yeah, and what does that make you? Well, if you're not a virgin, you're damaged goods. Exactly, yeah. But if you're a virgin, then it ups your value, your market value, right? Uh Mm Uh-huh, yeah. 
What else? What else were we taught about sex? Well, stuff like have it with one person. So let's have it with one person for life or wait till you're married or that sort of thing. Yeah, uh-huh, yep, yep. There's, uh, I had a friend that used to teach sex ed and she had to stop teaching it because she said she couldn't teach kids anymore about, um, because there's such an emphasis on abstinence and also monogamy and how, you know, if you want to prevent, you know, if you want to uh, be sure you don't get STDs, get in a monogamous relationship. And she, and she was, she was saying how many friends she knew that were in monogamous relationships that got STDs. <laughs> so, you know, it's just this belief that if you're not in a monogamous, monogamous relationship, you're bad, especially if you're a woman. Oh, my gosh. What do you think the biggest mis the the biggest misconcept I'll say about sex is that creates the most upset and pain in people's lives? I think at least for me, I think it was that there is a good way of having sex and a bad way of having sex. And what's the difference between the two? So the good way is the idea that you're having sex as a form of intimacy and kind of vanilla and certain things are allowed. The wrong way is when you are having sex not as a form of intimacy and you're doing acts that are just not typical, uh, and you grow up with judgment around those acts. So people that are into SN, what do you call it, SNM? Mm-hmm. People that have some fetishes, uh, there is an inherent belief that those acts in sex are not good or healthy for you, and there's a lot of shame and guilt around that. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that actually is sort of in alignment with what I believe is the biggest misconcept around sex, which is sex is love. You know, um, it absolutely is not. (laughs) It absolutely is not. Sex is, and here comes this phrase again, it's a temporary neutral event. It's a temporary neutral event. And love, you can bring love to sex, but you can bring love to grocery shopping. You can bring love to teaching. You can bring love to dating. You can bring love to playing video games. You are love. Sex is not love. And so I think that is one of the misperceptions about sex that has created so much pain in people's life because, one, if you're in a long-term relationship, and you're not having as much sex, what does that mean? Something is wrong with your relationship. Yeah, something's wrong with your relationship. There should be a lot of sex in the relationship, and if there's not a lot of sex, then um, something's wrong. And, I mean, 
if you read some of these women's magazines, it's just awful the information they feed these poor women, women on behalf of magazine editors all over the world. Please, please forgive us. <laughs> because, you know, ways to keep your man, your man interested you know, things that you can do to, to keep him, you know, keep him invested in the relationship. This is how you need to look in order to make him uh, stay sexually attracted to you. You know, um, you know, I think that gay men, it's sort of the opposite, you know, that there's like such this emphasis on sex that, uh, you know that if it, that if sex begins to dwindle, then there's this belief that there's a real problem there, and that you know the the relationship is now coming to an end. It's it's seen its natural phase because the sex is beginning to to uh, dissipate a bit. But you know there's a conversation too about you know sexual compulsivity and how there's been such an emphasis on sex in the uh, gay community that a lot of times I think the sexual compulsivity develops and we're, we're not clear on the two. So, but sex is not love. You are love. Love is all there. Love is the inherent truth of all things. Sex is a temporary neutral event. And uh, you can be as spiritual as spiritual can be and have sex with a different partner every single day. And it's not going to make you any less spiritual. And women, you are allowed to have as much sex as you want with as many people as you want, and it doesn't make you any less spiritual, valuable, or nor does it tarnish your value in the eyes of God. You know, it is all, that's where we really see a lot of the, the dust of religious um, oppression in our uh, conscious minds, you know, in the collective conscious, is this belief that, you know, sex is only for this one thing, and that it's something, sex is sacred, you know. You are sacred. What you bring to any moment is sacred. Sex is a temporary neutral event. So, like any temporary neutral event, you're going to project onto it. And it's interesting that we're talking about projection here. So, why don't we go next to this um, idea of projection. And Hector, why don't you, why don't you talk to us about projection as it's written in Radical Forgiveness. The pro- projection four. is when we take a feeling of uh, suppression or repression and we kindle with that in our conscious awareness and then we project it out to someone else so that we can blame that person for for that that is shameful and guilty within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So can you give an example of that? Uh, yeah, everything that, that we do, an example of that could be, um, you know, someone has feelings of unworthiness and therefore you're going to be working in places where your work is not recognized or where your manager is not going to give you the right credit for the work that you do. Uh, so that is a way of validating that, yep, you're not worthy. And here I give you some examples of that. Um, mm-hmm. 
like that is everything. Everything in life is projection. We are in a huge projection. Mm-hmm. But can we project things that are loving and life-affirming and uplifting as well? I, be, I believe so, yes. I believe that you do that when you're able to tap into the second level of consciousness and the third level of consciousness when you have what Buddhists call a radiant mind, which is a mind that is not contaminated by guilt or shame, and therefore your projections are actually miracles. What is the Course in Miracles called that? Uh, the happy dream. Oh, the happy dream. Yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, the happy the happy dream. And so Reverend Jennifer once said that she doesn't even believe in the law of attraction, but she believes in the law of projection, meaning that we are projecting the world that we experience all the time. So it's always, you know, like a movie projector. And it's projecting out our consciousness, our belief about ourselves, you know, and um, something to contemplate for sure. In this context, with radical forgiveness, it's talking about, you know, how we project our suppressed and repressed feelings onto others. And so um, Hector gave the example of, you know, we feel unworthy and so we, we um, enlist the help of a employer to prove us right, you know, so we project our feelings of unworthiness onto our abusive employer who doesn't recognize the work that we do. Now, uh, another way of thinking of it is the liar always feels lied to. The cheater always feels cheated. The abuser always feels abused. Did I... um, was it in this group that I shared about uh, the, wool, the, the person that I uh, worked with um, who came to me and shared that they always feel bullied, that they're getting bullied in all these areas of their life? Is that this group that I shared that story with? What? You want to hear it again anyway? All right. So... I was working with this person and their ongoing narrative is that they were bullied. They get bullied. And what they're looking for support in is learning how to stand up for themselves, you know, and transcend these experiences of being bullied. But what we began to uncover was, who do you think the bully was? This person. Because they were constantly filing complaints against employers, coworkers, people like that. They were constantly in lawsuits because they're suing other people for bullying them. So really, they were the bully. They were bullying people through the accusation of being bullied. They were, uh, I remember they were in a lawsuit with Homeowners Association because they were continuously being bullied. I'm doing air quotes right now, bullied by their neighbors. But really what it was was their, their uh, condo wasn't up to code, you know, and they had a mess out in front of their condo and all this stuff. But they took that as being bullied when really they, were being, they weren't 
adhering to the contract that they signed. And when the people were holding them accountable, they took it personally and they decided that that was bullying. And so they sued the, they sued the people, you know, and so they were bullying them through the court system. It was really wild when you, re- when you see it. And so I, I, um, when we discovered that, uh, the person wasn't willing to accept that at all. They, they were too invested in their victim story. And we didn't work with each other much longer after that. But it was something that was really, it was such a, like an aha moment for myself in that understanding of how intricate these things work. You know, the bully always feels bullied. So the victim I, always feels victimized. Go ahead, Hector. I just wanted to add that I love when you're able to find a correlation between science, science and spirituality. Uh, in psychology, there is a lot of evidence that correlates shame with uh addiction, depression, violence, aggression, and bullying specifically. Uh, And what they also found is that the opposite is through with guilt. Guilt is actually inversely correlated to those activities. And if you think about from A Course in Miracles, uh, the only reason why we're able to seek awakening from the dream is because we feel guilt. If we didn't have the guilt, there wouldn't be that force within us that is asking us to recognize the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas shame is always taking you deeper, deeper, deeper into negative emotions. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a really, um, really, I mean, it's layered conversation. We can just go on and on and on. Um, but so we can get to everything that we uh, have on the agenda for this evening. Would anyone like to um, add their thoughts to number five about um, all relationships are for healing? You know, a course would suggest that, uh, Course in Miracles would suggest that whoever is in front of you is your most important relationship. Why do you think the course suggests that whoever is in front of you is your most important relationship? Stephen, you're on the line, yeah? What do you think? My idea is that we are we need to deal with the present. We learn from the present, not from the past, not from the future. And whoever is right in front of us is teaching us something or we are there to teach them something. It's the present that matters. Yes. Mhm. That's definitely an element of it, absolutely. I would also add to that that from the Course in Miracles perspective, there's really only one of us here. We're all the children of God and we're of one mind. So the person in front of you is really your own 
holographic self projected outward, so it is your shame, it is your guilt, it is whatever is going on in the other person that you're seeing, it's your projection, so it's coming up for healing. Mm -hmm. What's the opportunity in every relationship, no matter who's standing in front of you, what's the opportunity for us? Healing. It's either to recognize it as love or a call for love and then express the love. Be the love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's to see the innocence of the person that stands before you, meaning to be able to transcend your, well, you know, transcend any repression, suppression, any projection that would uh, project ego belief or guilt or shame onto that person. So to be able to see the perfect innocence without your opinion or judgment projected onto them. And so when we begin to see the perfect innocence or what the Course might say at the face of Christ reflected back to you, you're seeing clearly. And it also means that indicates that you yourself are experiencing yourself with that clarity. And this is what we're here to do. So no matter who stands before you, it's an opportunity to see the perfect innocence in someone else. And that's what true forgiveness is. This is what we've been talking about the whole time is we're learning how to transcend, you know, our beliefs, um, the guilt, the blame, the shame, all that stuff, so we can see the perfect innocence in all people, all people involved in whatever it is that you know, you might be carrying with you. That's freedom. That's total freedom. I love this work. Does anyone have anything they'd like to share or add? Any thoughts? Can we go back to, what was your definition of guilt? Uh, the, well, the this, the... Um, the uh, radical forgiveness, as is written in radical forgiveness, guilt is, um, you know, feeling shamed for something that you did. Oh, so it's still considered feeling shame? Okay. We, feel gu- we feel guilt. This is a quote from the book. We feel guilt when we feel we have done wrong. So it's an opinion that we did something wrong. That's when we experience guilt. And it's that shame takes us to a much deeper level of guilt. So okay, in thanks. that sense, it's saying that shame is, it's sort of, is still guilt, but it's a deeper level of guilt. Where we, so it's, guilt comes from this, from this belief that we did something wrong. Shame takes us to a deeper level of guilt where we have this sense of actually being wrong. Right. Can we include in in guilt that it's not just for doing something wrong, but not doing something or saying something wrong or not saying something? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that that could absolutely be categorizing this. I think even that, like not saying something is still that you did something wrong. You didn't say something when you should have or, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it feels as though that the two is sort of uh, there. There is a sense of guilt being att- attached to an action, you know, and shame being attached to a state of being. Okay, let's take a break. So it's eight oh eight. Let's just take. Uh, let's just take about three minutes to go stretch our legs. You can refill your water, use the restroom, and we'll pick up about around let's say eight twelve. We'll see you back here at eight twelve. Jesse, are we going to be reading a course in miracles? Let me see. <clears throat> I have to just. Uh, I just have my book in my car, so I need to know if I, I have to go get it. Okay, give me one second, and I will tell you. I just have to pull up the right week. Uh, module 7. Week 7. In class, uh, reading. Oh, actually, no. We're going to uh, be reviewing the Byron Katie uh, work. So if you can, everyone, that's, I'm glad that you said that, is to uh, get your Byron Katie booklets. We're going to review the work tonight.
Okay. So we are going to review Byron Katie's The Work. And uh, how fun. And then we're going to do some tests. Some, some touch. <laughs> My dog just made a little moaning sound as soon as they said we're going to review Byron Katie The Work. He went, Ugh. I thought that was sort of funny. Perfect timing. Um, so if you guys... Uh, need a copy of the Judge Your Neighbor worksheet, I just emailed each of you a link so you can uh, look at it online, have the PDF online, in case you'd like to use that as a reference. But before we do that, let's just take out the booklet, the Byron Katie booklet, and um, review a couple of the sections on there just for fun, and then we'll dive in and do some practice work and I think, it, you know, just in reviewing this uh, stuff, we'll sort of see the clear correlations between the Byron Katie work and radical forgiveness and how it all sort of supports each other. Okay, so let's, uh, if you do not have the little booklet in front of you, uh, why don't you let me know now so that I won't have you read. Who does not have the booklet? I don't have it. Either. Hector, Hector does not, and Bruce, you don't either. Nope. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, it's all good. It's not super important because we already know it's just a review. So, um, Kathy and Francisco, why don't you guys take turns reading the first section? What is is just as a review. So, Kathy, you begin, and then Francisco, you do the second. Uh, the second reading, whenever you're ready. And I don't know if you're on mute, Kathy, but I can't hear you. Do you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead, Francisco. I'll be Kathy. You go, but you start. <clears throat> the only time we suffer is when we believe a thought that argues with what is. When the mind is perfectly, perfectly clear, what is is what we want. If you want reality to be different than it is, you might as well try to teach a cat to bark. You can try and try, and in the end, the cat will look up at you and say, meow. Wanting reality to be different than it is, is hopeless. And yet, if you pay attention, you'll notice that you believe thoughts like this a dozen times a day. People should be kinder. Children should be well-behaved. My husband or wife should agree with me. I should be thinner or prettier or more successful. These thoughts are ways of wanting reality to be different than it is. If you think that this sounds depressing, you're right. All the stress that we feel is caused by arguing with what is. People new to the work often say to me that it would be disempowering to stop my argument with reality. If I simply accept reality, I'll become passive. I may even lose the desire to act. I answer them with a question. Can you really know that that's true? Which is, which is more empowering? I wish I hadn't lost my job. 
or I lost my job. What intelligent solutions can I, can I find right now? The work reveals that what you think shouldn't have happened should have happened. It should have happened because it did happen, and no thinking in the world can change it. This doesn't mean that you condone it or approve it. It just means that you can see things without resistance and without confusion of your inner struggle. No one wants their children to get sick. No one wants to be in a car accident. But when these things happen, how can it be helpful to mentally argue with them? We know better than to do that, yet we do it because we don't know how to stop. I am a lover of what is, not because I'm a spiritual person, but because it hurts when I argue with reality. We can know that reality is good just as it is, because when we argue with it, we experience tension and frustration. We don't know, we don't feel natural or balanced. When we stop opposing reality, action becomes simple, fluid, kind, and fearless. Beautiful. So uh, what is, is when we argue with reality, we suffer. So who can give an example of when arguing with what is causes you to suffer? Maybe from your own life or, for, or, or an example that everyone can relate with. Stephen, do, uh, do you have an example? No? No, Stephen? Okay. Anyone? Well, a lot of people suffered when Trump won and are probably going to suffer again for the inauguration. And, you know, that's what is. He's president. That's right. Now, do you have to condone it or like it? Nope. But you can accept it. If I want to be peaceful and happy, I better. <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, sure. Point? Yeah. 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 I mean, right. acceptance is very important part of, of healing. And, you know, what really helped me, uh, and I was so grateful that in, it just so happened that that week uh, we were studying the section in A Course in Miracles about judgment and how we can't judge accurately. You know, we, we can't uh, see the ripple effects of everything. And so we say something's bad, but we don't know all the effects that will, it will have in all directions of time and space. We just don't. So we can accept what is because when we're, when we're in acceptance, we're present, you know? And when we're present, then we're available to, uh, to be guided, <laughs> you know? Who else would like to talk about this specific topic, accepting or share a, uh, your experience around that. I think a very a, simple. Go ahead. Go ahead, Stephen. Okay. I, I I tried to respond earlier, but I, I was talking to myself because I didn't unmute myself. But I think it, a, a very simple example is something that we all battle with, and it's traffic. You know, everyone complains and fights and argues and yells at other people on the road. Um, it's not 
it's not going to change anything. It it is what is. What it, and it, I I have for for years kind of struggled with that because I drive quite a bit during the day and now I just okay so I'm in traffic that's what it is and I can't do anything about it so I can um I can just meditate I can get on the phone and call people and reach out to people that I don't speak to very often and that acceptance removes all of my frustration and anger and you know and and any any road rage that might try to come come up, um, I can't change it. To that, yep, yeah. There is, um, you know, I've taken it to the place as well of I accept that I'm feeling anxious. I accept that I'm feeling angry. I accept that I'm feeling sad right now because there's so many times when I would have those feeling experiences and I would try to push them away or I would uh, be upset at myself for having them because I didn't think I should be having them. But when I began to accept that it was the my experience that I was having, I was able to move through the experience with so much more ease. And sometimes when I just allowed myself to be in the experience of anxiety is the most challenging one for me is if I feel anxious. But if I just allow myself to give myself permission to be anxious, if I allow myself to be, to accept that I'm anxious and then just be with it, you know, I move through it so much more quickly and it doesn't have such a, um, painful effect on me. I've also was able to accept that there are certain personalities that I didn't like, that I didn't resonate with. And when I was able to accept that I didn't like certain personalities, I was able to be present enough to do the sort of the radical forgiveness work. And I was always able to transform that into love. But in denying the experience that was arising, then I wasn't able to be present with the feelings that were coming up. And like we just were reading in Radical Forgiveness, you know, we project onto other people. But without the acceptance of what is, then it's so easy to go into, you know, suppression and things to that, to that extent. Any other thoughts on this? Um, can you expand a little bit more on how to avoid the projection? I mean, um, my personal situation is I have to deal with my ex because of the kids and sometimes her behavior. I try not to be judgmental, but she is angry or goes, blows up about things that the kids and I believe she shouldn't. And um, um, so I'm like, is she being put in my life? What lesson am I supposed to be learning to have to go over, have her in my life constantly with the attitude and the and that behavior? Am I projecting? I try to do forgiveness. I go through the little anger. I accept the anger, and then I, I do the exercise of forgiveness. 
this and, and just let it go. But is he showing up because I'm projecting something or because I have to learn something? I don't, I'm confused there. Hector, how would you answer that question? You might be on mute, Hector. Are they having technical difficulties or people are walking away <laughs> from the conversation tonight? Um, okay, so we can accept that she's in your life. We can accept that you have uh, mutual uh, responsibilities with the children. Uh, are you projecting onto her? Probably. Uh, that's what we do. And that's okay. So you can accept that you're projecting onto her as well. And in that, you stay present with the feelings that arise, you know. And then you, um, you know, if you're feeling, if you go into judgment, if you, if you have an opinion, if you're seeing her any way other than perfectly innocent, then we know that we're not seeing her accurately. And this is the work that you get to do in accepting, you know, you can accept that you don't like the personality or you don't like dealing with her. And then you go into inquiry about why that is. And it's through the process of inquiry that the answers are revealed to you. And, um, you know, you get clarity as to what it is you're projecting on, uh, on that you might be projecting onto her. Or if there's something within you that hasn't been dealt with. And that's the gift of relationships. You know, this is how we grow in relationships is the goal, you know, is always um, because a holy relationship is a relationship that blesses the world. That's a holy relationship. A special relationship is oftentimes what we would call a codependent relationship where one person will show up as one thing for the other person. So you both can play the roles that you're invested in. Meaning, if you show up to be the abuser, I'll show up to be the victim. And this is what, you know, the relationship isn't blessing the world. It's creating, you know, it's adding, um, it's what, of course, you'd say you're miscreating because you're not creating from love. So um, this is, the, you know, the questions that to ask yourself. And, and if you're not sure what questions to ask, one thing that I have found extremely helpful, and this is, can be applied to anything where you're looking for more clarity, is you simply ask, say, if I knew the questions to ask, what would they be? How could I get clarity around this relationship? Continue to place the relationship on the altar. Continue to ask for guidance. To, you know, commit to and really ground in your intention to see your ex as perfectly innocent, whole and complete. And also hold the space for harmonious relationships in your family. And then, you know, just listen to where the guidance, where you're guided to go. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So just really quickly, just to review, um, how uh, she talks about staying in our own business. So what are the three types of business? Hey, this is Hector. I just came back. Sorry about that. Uh, so the 
three types of businesses, my business, your business, and God's business. That's right. Great. Cool. So how do we – she suggests that we suffer when we're in someone else's business. Can you give an example of how you might suffer if you're in someone else's business? Uh, yes, my friend I have a friend that complains a lot, and he sees the bat on everything, and it bothers me sometimes to be with him because he brings a very negative perspective about everything. And I forget that that's his suffering, not mine, and that he's my friend, and I should should just be there for him. Yeah. So if he, so whose business is it that he complains all the time? His business. Exactly. And going back to accepting what is, we can accept that he complains all the time. And uh, in accepting that he complains all the time, you get to make an intelligent decision with that information. So what's the intelligent decision you can make with all that information? If I, if I want to be in his life, knowing that that's the way he, he is. Exactly. You can, you can say, okay, I accept that he complains all the time. That's his business. He can complain about whatever he wants to complain about. And the decision I can make is if I'm interested in investing my time with him, and if I do, then I go forward without judgment or attachment or the belief that he shouldn't complain. And it's wild what that acceptance, the freedom and the peace that acceptance gives us. Now, I've used the example of my sister and how she used to you know, drink very heavily, and I had this big belief about that and how, you know, our, our relationship was really um, strained because of that belief because I was always telling her what she needs to do, and I had this belief that she was going to get sober, she should be getting sober, and, and she wouldn't get sober, and I was always so disappointed, and so she stopped telling me things about her life because she could feel that I was judging her, and I finally accepted, I was like, wait, she doesn't have to get sober. If she wants to drink, that's her business. And and I get that, you know, being in relationship with her, she might cancel plans last minute. She may forget that we made plans. And I can choose whether or not to continue to be in relationship with her. And I'm more interested in staying in relationship with her than not. So I accept that she might cancel. She might not show up. She might even give me half-truths or tell a tale. And what I started to do is if we ever made plans, I would bring a book or my laptop. So if she canceled last minute, I had something to do. And I didn't have to sit there stewing in my resentment about her. I accepted that sometimes she cancels. She's flaky. She drinks. She gets hung over. She doesn't want to do things when she's hung over. So I can accept that and plan appropriately. And, oh, my God, like our relationship completely transformed. And I was so grateful for that. You know, so uh, anyway, so that's just an example. You know, it was my belief that she shouldn't drink that was creating so much upset in my life. It wasn't that she was drinking. I was addicted to the belief that she shouldn't drink. 
you know. Does she and, still drink now, Jesse? Um, not much. <laughs> not much. Yeah, she, uh, she, you know, she had to transfer. She, you know, had her own journey and her own experience, like anyone else, and she's just sort of doesn't really resonate with who she is right now, you know. So she has mm. a pretty healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that came from your acceptance? Um, who knows? Perhaps. Uh, I think that um, I definitely speak to her highest potential. You know, I speak to, um, like I try to do with everybody. You know, I try to hold the space for the, you know. uh, But, again, that, again, is sort of just my own a judgment and perspective. I think that she, um, I held the space for her to, for her happiness. You know, I definitely held the space for her happiness. And I think that she's, you know, working through experiences of, you know, it's really powerful when we see someone as innocent and we can love them unconditionally, it gives them permission to love themselves. You know, um, and I think that in that capacity, I think my sister's taken my lead and has started to love herself more, forgive herself and, do that because I'm so loving with her and so gentle with her. Yeah, that's more like what I meant, that it's sort uh-huh. of like we we are that powerful and well, people yeah. do live into that innocence that we're holding the space for and that love that we're holding the space for. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's turn to the Judge Your Neighbor Worksheet. And again, I emailed everybody the link so you can uh, easily access it if you don't have a spare copy around in your files. And we're just going to do uh, number one and number two as we do in class. So I'm going to invite everyone to just really be, uh, you know, even if there's, you're 99% over something, but there's 1% that is lingering, you know, be thorough, be honest, be open, and be willing to participate in class with the, with, the, um, uh, with the worksheet and just see what, uh, see what unfolds, see what happens. And we'll give you guys opportunities to coach one another. So it's 8.35. Uh, we'll see if we can't do two rounds. So we'll have four participants. And uh, we're going to take five, eh, not even five minutes, we'll take three minutes to fill out the worksheet. So at one thirty-eight, uh, at 8.39, we'll come back and begin the process, okay? So um, have at it.
Okay, I'm going to give you guys about another 30 seconds to finish up. Okay, so let's do um, a round of coaching, dust off the four-question inquiry process. So just uh, as a refresher, the first question is what? Is it four true? questions. Yes, is it true? The second question is? But can you absolutely know that it's true? Right. Third question. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? Exactly. And number four? Who would you be without thought? Right. And then we go into what? Turning the thought around? Yeah, turnarounds, exactly. And so we invite the person to turn the phrase around, and then we ask for three examples of how the turnaround could be true. Right? So three pieces of evidence of how the turnaround could be true. Very exciting work. Okay. So why don't we let uh, the expert coach, Bruce, why don't you start as our coach uh, and you'll do the, you'll be, you'll coach the first person who would like to, um, who would like to go through their uh, judge your neighbor worksheet, who'd like to be coached by Bruce. I'll do it, Stephen. Great, cool. All right, so um, Bruce, uh, whenever you're ready, you can begin the process. And everyone else, we're going to listen actively. And I even invite you to take notes on the process so we can share at the group level what we heard and uh, our takeaways, and um, we can offer our feedback. So whenever you're ready. So, Stephen. Uh, in situation who angers, confuses, saddens, or disappoints you, and why? Okay, uh, I'm angry at my friend Anders uh, because he often speaks in general terms, judging both the guilty and the not guilty. <laughs> and in the situation... How do you want them to change? What do you want them to do? 
uh, I would like for him to uh, not be so judgmental. I mean, to uh, extend grace a little more freely. Okay. And in this situation, what advice would you offer to them? Um... Well, first of all, I would, I would, I would, I would like for him to, or I would ask him to um, hear himself say the things that he says, and um, consider how hurtful and judgmental those statements that he makes uh, can be to others, and oftentimes to myself. Got it. Okay, so let me see if I got it. So did you say his name is Andrew? Yes. So Andrew says, uh, uh, speaks in generalities, and the generalities are uh, are sometimes hurtful and judgmental. Right. And can you give me, like, an example of... Um, oh, you're a business person. All business people, uh, you know, want to pay the minimum wage or don't want to offer a living wage to their employees. And, um, you know, and you're probably a slave driver as well because every, they all are. And um, I, I think the most recent thing is I have a new employee he met him, and he says, oh, so, you know, what did you get this acquisition for? <laughs> I see. Okay. So, so, what did you take that to mean? That he is judging all small businesses, business owners, as well as myself and me directly, as being people who are oppressive and unfair and abusive and um, so, so that's abuse really power. Got it. So, 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 just in this example, we're going to say that Andrew speaks in a way that 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 small business people are oppressive, and you're abu- mm-hmm. you because you're a small business person, you must be abusing your power. Mm-hmm. Is that really true? Of course not. Well. But you you said it made you angry, so it you know are are you well, why are you so certain and so quick to say it's absolutely not true? Well, not in my case, in my experience, and that's not the case okay. so it's not true that. makes you feel bad that because he says these general things about small business people are oppressive. Mm-hmm. So so but what are but you're still getting angry. So what how are you reacting or what happens when you believe 
for, for them? So, so you're saying, I think, objectively, you know, it's not absolutely true, but you're you're taking it in enough to believe it and to get angry. So, how are you reacting, or what happens when you, for the moment that you do believe that it's true? Well, w- when I hear him say that, I I think I get angry, and I and I oftentimes say, you know, I I. I think you're out of line talking about something you know nothing about. <laughs> so okay, so I'm sorry, I'm not being clear. I, I'm not asking okay. you whether what he's saying is true. I'm okay. asking, I'm asking you, is it true that that um, work with this? Is it true that he is being uh, negative and judgmental. Right, the, 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 the statements that he's, we're not working with whether his statements are true or not. We're working with, is your reaction right. an accurate reaction? That he's being judgmental and oppressive, or he's being judgmental and, and small-minded um, when he says those things. When I hear it, yeah, it sounds like it's true. It's out um, right. <laughs> But can you be absolutely? Can you know absolutely that that is true? No. No. So, what would be like a, a, a turnaround on uh, your your first statement? Um. Instead of, if you you know, so we, there's always just a knot in front of the angry. I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't hear that. So really? so, an easy turnaround is always just to put the knot in front of the emotion. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you read the statement again. So. I am not angry with Andrew because he often speaks in general terms um, that are judgmental and critical of others. So is there an, an example of a time when, you know, you didn't get angry when he said something like that? There, Yes. Tell me real briefly about what your thought process was. He said something offensive, and you didn't get angry. How come? Because I thought it's not about me. His judgment's not about me. <laughs> That's his business. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was, it was, it was reflecting something inside of him as opposed to uh, something about you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, another potential idea would be if you are angry what would be uh, who would be the other person that you could potentially be angry with when he says that well I, I think myself I, I think. So, so how would it be possible that you could be angry with yourself when Andrew says general offense, generally offensive things 
I think I get angry at myself for judging what he is saying or judging him for what he is saying. So you're angry at at the judgment. Mm-hmm. And why would you be angry at yourself for 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 judging these things? These are these are bad things to say. Let me ask you a different question. What would be another choice you would have? Um, or where would you be without the thought that, you know, judging him is bad or that he's saying these, these awful things? Um, I, don't, I, I think I would just be in a place where I hear what he says and allow him this space to express what he feels he needs to express and and understand that that's about him and it's his business and he can go about doing what he wants to do and say. He's saying what he wants to say. He's doing what he wants to do. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily a reflection, you know, on on you, potentially. Right. So how would you, instead of being angry, how would you, how would you feel? Um, instead of being angry, you mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I'd be in a very neutral state. <laughs> I think, uh, I would, yeah, I don't think I would have any feeling. Well, that, that, that's sure, that's a possibility. And now if if it's his business and he's going around and spewing hateful things, and, and I think you said that that's a reflection of, of his inner sort of state kind of coming out. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. So, so what kind of feeling might you have for somebody who's walking around in, in that sounds painful to me. Does that sound painful to you? Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I, I get where you're going. Certainly, you know, there's definitely compassion and love, and I and I do feel those things. I think that's why I I've held on to the friendship. Um, so, how could you express that in in those moments to him? So he's he's saying. You know, business people are terrible, and, and oh, why'd you get this one? You're probably abusing this person. What would what would be something that you could say out of love and compassion in that moment? You know, I think I think, and and we've talked about. I've expressed this. Is you know, I th- I think that his feelings and his judgment or evaluation of of business people are based on some of his experiences where he has felt abused and underpaid or cheated out of pay. And we've talked about that. And, you know, I've just allowed him a a space to, to, to tell his story and to, you know, feel what he feels. And, um, it would be an expression of, wow, you know, I know you've had some really hard experiences. Right. Sounds like that's been, been really rough. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and 
might even just offer up, you know, but you understand that I'm not that way. Because, you know, I, I, I express, I get that that's your lived experience, but through love I want to tell you that, that personally, I can't speak for anybody else, but, you know, my business is done differently. He. He always comes back to, I know you pay your employees well, blah, 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 but this is customary, you know. So, but by that time, we've had a big a big argument over it, and, and I feel like shit. So, so I guess what we're talking about, and we probably have to close up here, but, you know, mm-hmm. is that rather than, than the argument and the getting angry, if, if, you know, you can move from the anger to the compassion and the love. Mm-hmm of expressing the anger, you know, take a moment, stop, you know, get centered, get to that loving, compassionate place, that realization that it's he's expressing his pain and not really reflecting, you know, you through the turnaround. You know, we saw that, that it really wasn't about you. Mm-hmm. You think it's a, a possibility that you could get to a, the compassionate and loving expression versus the angry expression. Certainly, with a lot of practice, continued practice. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hop in here. Uh, I was so enjoying the process that I was just really listening because every time I was about to hop in, you would kind of peel away another layer and the conversation would shift in a really sort of interesting way. And so I was sort of compelled to allow you guys to just keep talking because it was a, a really great conversation. <laughs> so, um, beautiful work uh, on both ends. And Bruce, really quickly, why don't you talk about initially what your process was in the beginning? Yeah, so I haven't worked with this a, a, a ton. And I guess my idea was to ask enough of the questions to sort of get at uh, the situation so that I could start to do the, the, the questions at the bottom. Uh, and then we had some confusion over, you know, I didn't necessarily uh, read Stephen correctly through it because he thought I was asking, is it true, you know, what his friend was saying when I was really asking him about, is it true, you know, are you sure, are your feelings, you know, accurate? Uh, but I think once we got that straightened out, it, it, it went pretty okay after that. Yeah, no, 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 it definitely, it definitely um, began to flow for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen, what was your experience? Um, I I appreciate uh, the inquiry for sure um, because I I think that after every question there was you know in my thought process and answering something else was revealed something else was exposed. Um, whether I expressed all of it or not, I, I, there was definitely some some uh, the inquiry took me to Stephen, you cut out. <laughs> I took him off the call. Yeah, I know you left us to a cliffhanger there. <laughs> Where did it take you to, Stephen? Where? Are you there? There we go. Yeah, <laughs> there you are. So I don't know what happened. My phone went off and then came back on. I don't know. 
Uh, where was I? You, I was, you said the inquiry took you to, and then you left us with a cliffhanger. Uh, it took me to a very deep uh, place in my thought process, and and I didn't I didn't express it. Uh, what I started to think about is how I not just felt, but what was happening with me after I walked away from that conversation, um, mm. and. Um, the things that, that Bruce brought up in terms of moving to the place of compassion is definitely what happened, but it didn't happen until after I walked away. Uh, which mm. I appreciate, Bruce, that you 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 know you said how how can you move into that place of compassion a lot earlier in the conversation. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's hear from the uh, people that were listening in. Any um, feedback or thoughts? I think people are thinking it's nine o'clock. <laughs> That's my commitment. <laughs> um, well, the one thing I'd like to point out is, uh, or I'd like to just, and we might go like three minutes over, but how did the process of the four questions lead to, I'll just say at least, the possibility of radical forgiveness? In which way? Like where are the where are the based off of Stephen's process work? Where is he? He sort of created the space for radical forgiveness to be practiced. What were the similarities, or why is that so? I think that when when he realizes that what makes him upset is the judgment that he has that he's taking that personally as a potential reflection of someone like him, he understands that uh, that is really about him, that he is making himself upset for reasons that are not necessary because he's not that type of business owner. And I think that that mm-hmm. creates the space for him to realize that his friend is in a place of suffering from previous experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when we realize that it's our judgment or our perspective and that is been created through past experiences that's making us unhappy, what does that allow us to see in the other person? Innocence? Yes. Yes. It's that first process of forgiveness that we talked about in Radical Forgiveness is seeing, or that article, remember the article that we read in the beginning of the module is is beginning to understand that what we think our brother did to us didn't occur. 
So now Stephen's being through the process of inquiry, he's beginning to see that what he thought his brother was doing to him, he wasn't doing. Stephen was doing it to himself. And so then he can release uh, his friend from the responsibility of making him happy, being giving him power over his peace of mind. He can take responsibility for his own peace of mind. He can allow, accept that his friend is who his friend is, therefore, in essence, seeing his innocence, and now he's free, and forgiveness has unfolded. And a miracle is free to express. Isn't that great? It's all interjected. It's all interjected. This is a wonderful, easy process that we could use in our own lives to support us in practicing forgiveness. And it's a wonderful process we can learn to help other people get to the space of seeing that we project our feelings, our suppressed feelings, our repressed feelings, our judgments, our opinions onto other people. And to give other people a break. Let them out. You know, they didn't ask for the responsibility to have power over your peace of mind. So let's take our power back. Take it off of them. And then you'll feel so much more freedom and peace in your relationships. Well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Bruce. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, everyone, for participating. Thank you, Magali, for checking in with us. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. Uh, I'm going to invite you all to, you know, uh, read your um, worksheets, do your homework, do your reading, and we'll connect again in class next Wednesday. Uh, Next week, we'll really talk about the retreat, and I'll answer any questions. I sent out an email about the retreat today. Look that over, and you can email Lisa at office at inspirespiritualcommunity.org your questions about the logistics of things. And uh, we're going to get prepared to have an amazingly transformational experience up in the uh, uh, up in the Big Bear area. So let's uh, bookend with a blessing, and we'll just say how grateful we are to continue to peel away the layers, to um, see more clearly, to feel more clearly. Mm. We just continue to hand over. This evening, our thoughts, our experiences, our relationships to our highest, holiest self. We're grateful to do so because we bless everyone, all sentient beings when we do, because we can't keep this love to ourselves. So we share it. And with our minds open, our hearts open, we go forward in grace and gratitude, and we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. All right, everyone. I love you all. Have a beautiful, beautiful night. And I look so forward to connecting with you guys real soon. Take care. Good night. Good night. Good night.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.